In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are still in chapter 16 of St. Matthew's Gospel. You remember that last week is when Jesus uh, confronts the disciples about his identity. He asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And this is the first title that we see uh, in regard to the revelation of Jesus. He is the Son of Man. That's the one that Daniel sees uh, coming in the cloud of glory, the, the prophecy of the coming of God. So he is the Son of Man, uh, this uh, one that was prophesied. Then we hear that he is the Christ, so he is the Messiah, the one who is promised to save Israel and to bring the people out of death and into salvation. And then he reveals that he is the Son of God, that he is uh, begotten of the Father, as we say, uh, not made, that he uh, shares in the divinity of the Father. So now that we have this clear understanding of who it is uh, that Jesus is, that he is God and that he's come to save the world, now he tells us how he's going to do it. So first we have to know who he is, that he is God, and then how is it that he's going to save the world. And he saves it in a remarkable way. Uh, He saves the world from death by dying. That's extraordinary. He defeats death by death. And then he tells them that he's going to resurrect. And it's, it's not uh, surprising that St. Peter and the others really don't understand this. We're standing on the other side of this pivotal point in history, the history of the whole world. Uh, the history of the whole world can be told from this point forward or backwards. This is the central act in the history of the world. And because we're standing on this side of it, we have some understanding of what it means to be resurrected, of what it means that Christ is resurrected. But even we don't, of course, fully understand it, do we? It's a mystery. So you can understand how St. Peter would be uh, kind of uh, perplexed by this. And then Jesus calls him a name. Now we've already seen Jesus call names. We saw him call the Canaanite woman a dog, right? And after that we think, what's a worse thing that he could call someone uh, than a dog? Well, it gets worse, doesn't it? He calls St. Peter Satan. Right after he had told him that this is who he's going to build his uh, church upon, of course not St. Peter himself, but those who declare that Christ is God, but he calls him Satan. This is maybe the worst thing that you could call anybody, right? The, the um, arch enemy of God and the accuser, the one who condemns. So what is it that he's saying that St. Peter is doing? He's saying that St. Peter is denying the way of salvation because Jesus is saying, this is how I'm going to save you from sin and death. And St. Peter says, oh, don't do that. And this is understandable for us, right? Because any time that we have a friend who tells us, I'm going to do something really hard, I'm going to really sacrifice myself, I'm going to do something different, difficult, our temptation is to say, oh, that, that sounds too hard for you. Maybe you shouldn't do that, right? We try to talk each other out of doing hard things so often. And so that's what St. Peter is doing here. He's saying, oh, that sounds like a really scary thing to do. You shouldn't uh, do that. And, and what he's doing is he's taking the role of Satan because Satan always tries to take us out of doing something hard that's sacrificial. That's what Satan tries to do. He says, uh, make it easy on yourself. Don't worry about you. And while he's accusing us of sin, he's also comforting us on the other side and saying, but it's not that bad. You're a sinner. You're messed up. Uh, but don't do anything about it. It'll be okay. And so that's what Satan does is he tries to make us comfortable with the sin that we're living in. 
And so uh, Jesus identifies that now uh, St. Peter, though he's acknowledged that Jesus is God, is not acknowledging the method in which he's going to remove sin and death from us. And then, of course, uh, Jesus uses uh, this great word, this word that really uh, should have lots of books written about it. It's uh, the most important theological word, in my opinion. I think that we should see lots of theological treatises written about it. This very important theological word is if. If. This is the word that Jesus uses. He says, if. If anyone would come after me. What does that mean, come after me? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to death and I'm going to resurrection, and I'm going to the right hand of the Father in heaven to dwell in eternity. Does anybody want to come with me? Some people might say, yes, I'd like to come. So Jesus says, if if you're going to come with me, you have to deny yourself and take up your own cross. So he's saying you have to participate with me in death. What does that mean? Does that mean that we all have to be saints and martyrs? That we all have to be like Jeremiah who we're reading about? Well, Jeremiah didn't start out being a great prophet, right? He starts out by first being willing to deny what he wanted to do what God wanted. It's a very simple formula. We wake up in the morning and we can say, what do I want to do today? What's going to fulfill me? What's going to be my purpose, right? Or we can say, what is God requiring of me today? What is God uh, leading me to do today? What's the mind of God in my life? If we do that, if we turn to God and we discern His will, we die to ourselves. We're saying, not my will, but your will. And then if we ask that second very important question, we say, what is the Lord leading me to do for my neighbor? So that I'm not doing what I need, but what my neighbor needs. Again, we've died to ourselves. So Jesus is saying, if we want to participate with him, if we want to walk with him in eternal life, if we want that, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And then he's got this great line that everybody loves to talk about. You see this needle pointed and people wearing t-shirts and everywhere about this. Um, He will repay each person according to what he has done. Isn't that a popular bit of scripture? Uh, you see that in bumper stickers a lot and, and needle pointed in kitchens. He will repay everyone for what he has done. That's a really popular phrase, isn't it? You ask people what their favorite quote of scripture is. That's a big popular one, isn't it? He will repay you for what you have done. Jesus is saying that we are answerable for our actions. We are answerable for where we're going to go and for who we're going to be party to. And if we want to be party to Christ and to salvation, we have to participate with Him. Again, it doesn't just start with uh, those extreme circumstances like Jeremiah. Jeremiah gets to that place of sacrificing himself after a long road. Jeremiah is one of those prophets who's living in Judea, in Jerusalem, at the time of the siege by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians, these uh, heinous enemies of God, have encircled the city, they've encircled Jerusalem, they've got their war machines, they've got one of the greatest armies that Asia had ever seen at that point. They take it to Judea, they surround the city, they've cut off all the water, there's no water coming in, there's no food coming in, people are eating their children, and they're drinking their own urine. And at this point, Jeremiah says, you all need to get on your knees and find out what it is that the Lord wants you to do. And the people say, we don't really want to hear that right now. 
And you could understand that. The last thing that these people who are being sieged want to hear is repent. That's the last message. They wanted to hear everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Here's the way that we're going to be successful in military victory. Hey, I've got a great plan to lead the Babylonians. He's telling the people, repent, get on your knees before God. And they're saying, if you don't shut up, we're going to throw you in jail. So the whole city is dying and suffering. And their answer to Jeremiah's call to repentance is, we're going to throw you in jail. And at this point, Jeremiah says, what's the deal? You told me to say these things. You put these words in my mouth. I've got no, no choice but to speak them. He says, I found your words and I ate them. They became a joy to me. And here I'm being persecuted for it. And the Lord responds to this. And he responds to Jeremiah. His response to Jeremiah in jail during the siege is this great theological word again. If. He says, if you return, I will restore you. If you utter what is precious. It's really easy to say nice things to people when we feel good, right? When life's going great and everything's going our way, we feel really generous and we're really polite. And then you hit me on my thumb with a hammer and you find out what's really in my heart, right? You hear the words that are really in my heart. Because all of a sudden, things aren't going great anymore. And you see the true Howard. And the Lord is saying, the true you, the center of your heart, needs to be the words that are precious. The words that are good. The words that are full of life. That needs to be what's in our heart. And he's saying, if your words are precious, if you utter what is right, then you will be as my mouth. You will be as my mouth and I will make you as a wall of bronze. So he's saying you will be a fortification. You will be a, a protector from what's wrong. You will be a part of me. You will be with me until the end. The question for us at that point has to be, well, how am I going to do that? How do I do that? And St. Paul gives us very clear understanding. St. Paul is a kind of an early programmer, if you will. Uh, when I studied computer programming, they told me something very important. They said, garbage in, garbage out. And that's programming for the human soul. When you put garbage in, garbage comes out. So what we've got to be careful about is what we watch and what we read and what we participate in, what are we doing with our devices, what are we doing with the books and magazines, what are we doing with the radio stations, what kind of trash are we putting in, because the trash that we hear is what's going to come out. I remember walk, working in a lab when I was right out of college and uh, they would play the radio all day long, classic rock, all day long. And at the end of the day, after eight hours, I realized I'd heard the same commercial about 40 times and I was wondering why after eight hours I wanted to go and drink beer and buy a brand new truck. Because that's all I'd been hearing for eight hours. Because that's how simple we are, right? They're not spending billions of dollars in media advertising because they're dummies. They know that if they tell us something enough, we'll say, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I think I need to do that too. Because we're that simple. What you put into our ears is what comes out of our mouths. And St. Paul is saying very carefully here, he's saying, do not be conformed to this world. 
Do not believe what this world is telling you. Be conformed to the will of God. Discern what is the will of God. To discern, it means that we've got to be able to, to tell the difference. We've got to be looking. We've got to be studying. We've got to be careful. We've got to be reading the Word of God. We've got to be listening to the Word of God. We've got to be keeping our eyes and our hearts upon the Word of God so that we can tell what it is that He's telling us to do. We've got to figure out what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you notice how He's saying, don't figure out what's wrong? which is what the rest of the world is doing, trying to figure out what's wrong. He's saying, find out what's good. Our focus needs to be on what's good. That needs to be what we're sharing with one another. What is good in the world? What is good that the Lord is leading us to do? That needs to be our focus. If that's what's going in, that's what's going to come out. So we've got to be focused upon the Word and the will of God. And then he says, you can't think too much of yourself. Because if we start thinking, I'm so great and I'm so wonderful, who do I need? What help do I need? I don't need any. But if we're humble, we wait upon the Lord to see what He wants and what it is that He's going to give us so that we can follow His will. This is why we teach budgeting. We've got to submit to our budget. We've got to submit. This is how much money I've got, so this is how much money I've got to spend. It's an act of submission. It's an act of discipline. And if I'm not disciplined, I start to spend money that I don't have. And I get myself into serious trouble. So the Lord is saying, be humble. Don't think too much of yourselves. Don't think you've got more than you've got. Submit to the will of God. And when you do that, then you're able to function as a body of Christ. And when the body of Christ functions, when we all come together to do His work, amazing things happen. Miracles happen. Because we're focused upon Him and we're discerning His will. It's a really hard thing to call somebody Satan. We ought to be shocked by that. Is he just trying to hurt Peter's feelings? He's trying to wake him up. Wake up. Your life is at stake. God's trying to save you. And you're busy worrying about other things. Wake up. Your life is at stake. The life of your children is at stake. The life of your community is at stake. And if we don't remember and focus upon the Word of God and His will, we will easily just simply walk away and wonder where our salvation has gone. But if we are awake and we are alert and we are discerning the will of God, and we are living His life, and listening to His will, and we are hungering for His ways, we will walk in glory with Him everlasting.